0: It's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful for uh, the truth of Scripture that is so practical and that touches our lives uh, where we actually live. The things we do, the relationships we have. And we ask that that would be the case as well this morning that even though some of us may feel as though most of those parenting days have passed us by, or that we're adult children and don't need to honor and obey our, our parents any longer, that yet, Lord, there is truth here for each of us. And I ask that you would, by your spirit, uh, show us what that truth is, that we might go forth from this place as men and women who are more committed and better enabled to fulfill your call on our lives for the glory of Christ our Savior, For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> there are many kids today who think uh, they've got it bad if uh, their parents make them do chores, or if uh, you know some TV or a video game is withheld from them for a day or a week. Uh, but. Uh, you know, if, uh, if they had lived in the Roman Empire, uh, they, would, uh, they would find themselves quaking in their boots in comparison to, uh, uh, to the threat of having a TV program uh, taken away. Because in the Roman Empire, uh, a father's power was absolute. And I mean absolute over his family. Uh, he could sell any family member he wanted as a slave. He could make them work in the fields literally in chains if he so chose. Uh, he could take the law into his own hands and uh, punish them in any way he saw fit, even to the point of putting them to death. And no one could say a word to him. Do you understand, kids? He could have killed you simply because he felt like it. Okay? That was, uh, that was the way it was. Not only that, but you didn't outgrow it. As a kid. Yeah, if a woman went off and married a man, she was under the authority of her husband then. He was probably just as bad as her old man. But the boy, the son, never outgrew his father's authority in those areas until the day his father died. Never outgrew it. Then there was a matter of child repudiation. Okay? It's their answer to abortion, I guess, in many respects. When a child was born, it was placed before the father, and if the father bent down and picked it up, the child was accepted into the family and, and raised as his own. If he turned away from it, the kid was literally thrown out, discarded. But not to worry. There was a whole industry trafficking in children that were thrown out, babies that were discarded. People would come by and snatch them up and keep them in little penned up places and raise them to be slaves or to be used in brothels. It was a regular industry. I found a, a quote. This uh, Roman father writing to his wife from Alexandria. And this is what he writes. He says, If, good luck to you, you have a child... If it is a boy, let it live. If it's a girl, throw it out. That's the way parenting was. And it is in that kind of atmosphere that Paul is now writing these words to Christian parents, pulling them back with with, with such restraint that it stands out almost like sun coming out after a dismal storm. It was absolutely unique in that day. And although things are not as bad for kids today as they were in the Roman Empire, it is still true that Christian parents and children acting in a godly way really stand apart from the rest of the culture. You don't have to go very far to see it. You can see it in the aisles of Big Y. You can see it in the halls of the, of the school systems. You can see it on the street corners. And read it in the police reports. You remember that Paul wrote early in this letter, he said, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. What Paul lays before us here are are the good works that both children and parents can contribute and ought to contribute, and in so doing, not only are a blessing to one another in the family, but are a grand testimony of the power of God to the culture around them. So whether it was the the Christians in those days testifying to the Roman culture that, that something new had come, or whether it's our testimony before our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers to the same extent. It is an important thing that we do when we treat one another as the scriptures would have us. And there is blessing for us and blessing for others as we do. And so Paul simply lays out here what the responsibilities of parents and children are to which we will now turn our attention. first thing Paul addresses is What's the child's responsibility? Well, in a word, it's to honor and obey the parents, as he says in verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Now, Paul states two reasons that children are to obey and honor their parents. The first, he says, is because it's right. Now, commentators are a little divided here. Some commentators think that it's right because God commanded it. And I suppose you you can't deny that. Anything that God says to do is right. We understand that. But both in the context in which Paul's writing and what we read in Romans one thirty, we recognize that, that in terms of human society, It has always been right, in every culture and in every time, it has been a natural thing for parents to expect that their children will honor and obey them. Cultures can't be built. Societies can't flourish if that's not the case. In fact, that's precisely what Paul says in Romans one does doesn't he? Remember, as we were reading it, he's basically talking about what happens when people reject God and God gives them over to a depraved mind and there are all these practices that take place and near the top of the list or the bottom of the list, depending on how you want to look at it, is the rebellion of children against their parents. Because it is the hallmark of a disintegrating culture when children walk away from what is natural, even though in some senses it's natural because of our fall on this, but who refuse to do what everybody knows ought to be the natural course of events. Well, The second thing that Paul says is that they ought to obey not simply because of natural law, but because of divine law. That's why he refers to the fifth commandment. He says, honor your father and mother, which he says is the first commandment with a promise. And that promise is, he says, that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. In other words, God commands that children obey and honor their parents. But he adds a very practical reason that most of us don't really, I mean, we just blow right by it, right? Honor your father and mother, but we don't really think about why that works in the real world. Paul tells us, he says that it may go well with you and might enjoy long life on the earth. Now this is not a promise that every kid who is born into a Christian family and obeys and respects his parents is going to have a long and happy life. We know that that simply is not the case. But in general, it is true that they are more likely to have that than not. And the reasons are easy to think of. I mean, for instance, if a child listens to his wise parents, he's going to be warned away from harm. Don't cross the street unless you're holding my hand. Don't chase a ball out from behind a parked car. Why? Because you might get squashed. Right? You're warning them out of harm's way. And children who hear and obey are likely to do that, be warned out of harm's way. They're likely to be spared bad habits and bad friends because parents tend to want to make sure that their children are, are choosing a peer group that is encouraging them and strengthening them and, and calling them to the highest and best they can be to use their gifts, to explore their opportunities. And if if our children's friends don't do that, then we're concerned. Another is that children who listen to their parents are more likely simply to develop healthy character traits and patterns because they've learned to develop and appreciate those things that bring blessing and not cursing. So what does it mean to obey the parents and the Lord? Well, the word translated obey literally means to listen under. In other words, it means to be willing to humble yourself and carefully hear what's going on. That's why parents always say, listen to me. How many times have you heard me say, listen to me? Listen to me. You've all heard it. Why? Because that's the nature of obedience. The nature of obedience is to hear to place ourselves under and to listen to with the intent of going out and doing it. And much of this is a matter of attitude, of course. It's not just a matter of going and doing what we're told to do simply because we're told to do it. I mean, we've all heard the, the illustration of the kid who gets told to go sit in the corner by the teacher because he's been disruptive. And he goes and sits in the corner, but inside he's saying to himself, I may be sitting down physically, he says, but inside I'm standing up. Well, his attitude isn't submissive, it's not humble, it's not obedient. Well, what Paul says here is that to honor parents means to regard them highly, to show them respect, consideration, to listen to them. To really hear what they say. Now before we look at the foundations for, or not the, uh, the responsibilities for parents, I think it's important to look at the foundation that we need for godly parenting, which Paul really doesn't talk about here so much as uh, we find it other places in scripture. But the foundation has two elements, two primary elements. And the first is the parent's own love relationship with the Lord. All right, the love relationship with the Lord is the most basic building block of Christian parenting. Because Paul assumes that in order to be a good Christian parent, you have to love God. That's really a prerequisite. And there are at least two reasons for this. One is that we all need good models. Most of us have grown up in homes where, well, let's face it, we didn't always see the best modeling of parenting Or parental love. And it's a truism that we tend to become our parents, for good or for ill. They were our parental models and we tend to become like them. Now for some of us that may be rather disturbing. We may think to ourselves, oh, the last person I want to model is my mother or my father in my own parenting. I hated what I was exposed to. And what Paul tells us elsewhere is that the thing is is that we now have a Heavenly Father who is our model. And that, that is more beautiful, more powerful, more compelling if we give ourselves to examining it and embracing it and experiencing it than anything that's happened to us in our experience. In other words, An intimate relationship with God, knowing who he is, how he thinks, how he acts. And how he does these things with me is more powerful and more telling about what we will be as parents than anything in our background. Because he's our model now. But the second thing Christian parents need is not just a better model than they had, but it's security. I don't know anything that makes a person more insecure unless they are awash in arrogance than to become a parent. What is more daunting than to hold a newborn child in your hands and know that you are responsible for the raising and the care and the nurture of this child from birth to birth to adulthood, in the ways of God, to do everything you can to possibly protect that child, who can do that and feel as though they're up to the task? Nobody. Not if they're honest. It's a frightening, frightening proposition. That's why it's comforting to know that God's love that's been set on us from eternity never changes. It's never withdrawn. There is a security there in our relationship with him that allows us to embark on even the most daunting and and frightening responsibilities with a sense that he is able, that he is present, that his guidance is trustworthy, and that we can go forward because he's with us in the process. I mean, isn't it true that our greatest failings in our, in our actions as parents usually comes because of our insecurities? I can tell you for a fact that that's the way it is with me. My insecurities, my personal insecurities, are the things that affect my parenting more than anything else. And often it's in the, it's in the area of disciplining my children or instructing them as I ought. My own issues cloud cloud things for me. They make me anxious. But anxious parents don't make good parents. Right? If all you're worried about is covering up and protecting yourself from whatever it happens to be, you can't parent. Parenting means that you need to be secure enough to be able to do the hard thing to say the hard thing, to discipline when you don't really want to do it. And the only way we can do that is when God comes in and he takes away from us our concern that it's somehow about us and protecting ourselves. And that it is about supplying for our children what they need in order to grow to be mature and responsible God-fearing adults, so far as it lies within our power to do so. So being secure in God's love for us is incredibly important. The second building block, the first one you'll remember, was having a love relationship with God himself as a parent, is our love relationship with our spouse. Because where do children learn about intimacy? Where do they learn about trust? Where do they learn about responsible interaction? They don't see it between their parents. Because the marriage is supposed to be what? As we saw last week. It's, it explains things about the mystery of, of the union of Christ and his church. There's this, there's this exposure of God to our children through the relationship that the parents have that is critical in their upbringing and in the way in which they will ultimately be able to love others and to love God themselves. As a result, I think one of the most important gifts that any Christian parents can give their children is to love each other. Really love each other. Sacrificially. Sacrificially as the scriptures teach. Now, why is all this important? Well, the simple fact of the matter is every single one of us has or will continue to make mistakes as parents. Right? We've all done it. And the tendency is to think that somehow because we did this or failed to do that or really messed up over here, that it's going to have a disastrous effect upon our children. But the teaching of Paul is rather different. What he says is that underneath all the the right and wrong things that parents can do is the importance of what they are as men and women of God who love God and love each other because that produces an ethos. It produces a, a character. It produces a spiritual aroma in the home which itself is far more informative and formative for children as they grow than specific rules that we have or don't have or enforce or don't enforce. It's what they see in us that is so so crucial. Now Paul moves on to addressing the responsibility of parents. And you'll notice that it's broken up into two parts, the first negative and the the second positive. Negative is really most clear in many respects. It says, Father, do not provoke your children to anger. This literally means that do not provoke your children to anger so that they seethe and rage with resentment and irritation. And it's important to understand that the word there, fathers, is used generically for parents. So it's not just the dad who's responsible, though in some ways he is, but mothers, you have to listen to this too, because you are just as capable of exasperating your children as the husband is. Now that can happen, of course, in any number of ways. I'll just give you a few. Being unreasonable. It is easy for parents to demand of children that which they, they just can't do yet. And to hold up before them expectations that they're just not capable of accomplishing. That's incredibly frustrating for kids. Finding fault. The parent who rarely, if ever, finds something to praise in the child, but always seems to be able to find the thing that they didn't do or messed up doing, the debit rather than the credit. Another way to exasperate children comes through neglect. There's an incredible illustration of this in the scriptures, and we see King David, right? He neglected his own son Absalom, and what did Absalom do? Absalom rebelled against him, committed treason, and even tried to kill him as a result. This distance because of of his father's neglect. There was no relationship there anymore. Another common provocation is inconsistency. Whether the parent says I'm going to do something and doesn't do it or whether their discipline falls on this side one day and falls on the other side the other day and the kid just doesn't know what to expect. And so they live in this this world that just doesn't quite make sense, doesn't, doesn't really go forward consistently. And especially for children, that's incredibly hard because they become fearful and anxious and fearful, anxious people whether you're a child or adult are angry people because we always hide the fact that we're afraid we don't want to really admit that we're anxious unless we know somebody really well and we just express it as frustration or anger these are just a few of the ways in which parents can very easily and unwittingly exasperate their children. Children are fragile. They really are more fragile than we often tend to think that they are. But notice here that by the same token, Paul says they could be made to blossom beyond expectation, bringing untold blessing to themselves and to others. He follows that with these words. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now there are three things here that Paul makes very clear that are are important to us. First is gentleness. The words bring them up actually should be translated gentleness. Because it is the same group of words that is translated nourish and cherish in 529. Where it talks about a man nourishing and cherishing his own body. And so he should nourish and cherish his wife the same way. And that's what this group of words translated, bring them up, means. It's the same group. And so what it means is that parents ought to be tender and gentle towards their children. Whether they're embracing a baby, whether they're throwing their arms around their preschooler or throwing them around the shoulders of their they adult children, it doesn't matter. There's still a tenderness that a parent ought to show their child. That the child knows they're loved and they're safe. Second, there's discipline. Now, this is a strong word, because it means to correct even by punishment. I remember when I was a boy, uh, I called my brother Paul a bad name. And my father overheard me. And, um... My father promptly grabbed me by the scruff of my neck, dragged me upstairs to the bathroom, took a bar of soap, grabbed my jaw and forced my mouth open and took a bar of soap and shoved it in my mouth and ground it around in my teeth until most of that bar of soap was gone, took it out, handed me my toothbrush and said, get busy. (laughs) And stood there while I had to brush my mouth out it was awful and I don't recall ever calling my brother that word again but that's what discipline of course is meant to do discipline is meant to to bring forth righteousness because of the pain that doing something wrong brings upon us that's what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12 where he talks about the fact that discipline produces practical righteousness and peace, and that it's part of the necessary training of children. Lastly, Paul talks about instruction, which, which really it's verbal instruction, in many respects, verbal warning. It's almost like you, there are times when we have to confront and exhort our children in ways that, that is not particularly fun. They don't enjoy it, we don't enjoy it, but it is important. And 1 Samuel has one of the best lessons in the world of what happens if you fail to do that. God, speaking about the way in which Eli has failed to discipline and to instruct and to rebuke his own boys, says this, the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. God did. Boy, did he ever. And rebuke. Rebuke in this text in First Samuel is the same exact word in the Greek that's used for instruct in six four. There are times when we must haul our kids up short and say, This is dangerous, or this is a line you must not cross. These things must stand. And so Paul, in this in this very short phrase gives us this, this wonderful picture of, of parents who are, are willing to discipline their children and instruct them properly and all in this, this atmosphere, this environment of love and tenderness and acceptance. Someone once wrote, We had the meanest parents in the world while other kids ate candy for breakfast, we had to have cereal, eggs, and toast. When others had a Pepsi and a Twinkie for lunch, we had to eat sandwiches. And you can guess our parents fixed us a dinner that was different from other kids, too. Our parents insisted on knowing where we were at all times. You'd think we were convicts in a prison. (laughs) They had to know who our friends were and what we were doing with them. They insisted that if we said we would be gone for an hour, we'd be gone for an hour or less. (laughs) We were ashamed to admit it, but they had the nerve to break the child labor laws by making us work. (laughs) We had to wash the dishes, make the beds, learn to cook, vacuum the floor, do laundry, and all sorts of cruel jobs. I think they would lay awake at night thinking of more things for us to do. They always insisted on telling the truth, on us telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And by the time we were teenagers, they could read our minds, and life was really tough. (laughs) Because of our parents, we missed out on a lot of things the other kids experienced. None of us were ever caught shoplifting, vandalizing others' property, or ever arrested for any crime. It was all their fault. We never got drunk, took up smoking, stayed out all night. or a million other things other kids did. Now that we've left home, we're all God-fearing, educated, honest adults. We're doing our best to be mean parents just like our parents were. The world just doesn't have enough mean parents anymore. know, it's hard for children to obey their parents and honor them, and it is hard for parents to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But difficult isn't impossible, because the grace of God is given to us for that very purpose. And Christian parents and children have been doing this for millennia. And so we don't have to fear that somehow we're, we're just getting into the pool that nobody else has been in. But it's been, it's been used a lot. And God is, God is certainly able and willing and desirous for us to engage these things, these responsibilities, and see the blessing that he has. Let's pray. Our Father, we are always in your debt. And we don't want to try and pay off what we owe because we know we can't do that. That wouldn't be grace. But we ask that you would just continue to shower us with your mercies. Continue to excite us with your truth and guide us, lead us, work in us and make us the men and women you want us to be. We know, Lord, that if we go our own way It's going to be miserable sooner or later, and we know that if we go your way, no matter what comes, we will be able to endure it with grace, dignity, and maturity. We ask that you would do these things for us, that it might resound our lives, our entire lives as parents, as children, whatever we do, whoever we are, to the glory and grace of our Savior. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.